Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we will stop in Los Angeles to speak with Anthony Irwin of Locked On Lakers about the Lakers finally deciding on a head coach and the entire botched process involving uh, that hiring and the mess in the front office. We'll go to Golden State to speak with Charles Hamilton of Locked On Warriors about Kevin Durant's injury and the Warriors getting over the Houston Rockets to advance to their fifth consecutive Western Conference Finals. And lastly, We speak with Mike Richmond of Locked On Blazers about Portland beating the Nuggets in Game 7 and heading to those Western Conference Finals against the Golden State Warriors. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host for Locked On NBA, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. The conference finals are both set. We've got the Portland Trailblazers taking on the Golden State Warriors. We've got the Toronto Raptors taking on the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference. We're going to be covering a couple of the big stories, some coach hiring news as well in today's show. So let's get to it. Now we bring in the host of the Locked On Lakers podcast back once again. Anthony Irwin is here because some uh, some big news has gone down. Anthony, we uh, we spoke last week talking about the likelihood, it seemed like a formality, that Ty Lue was going to be the Lakers head coach. Of course, uh, lots of weird stuff happened in the interim. That, that would have been covered during the week. But what has happened now is that the Lakers have confirmed Frank Vogel as the head coach. And of course, they have uh, foisted Jason Kidd onto, uh, onto him as an assistant coach. Um, how exasperated are you? It's a pretty annoying situation. <laughs> like, all right, here, if they had decided early on that Frank Vogel was somebody that they were interested in or they had, like, labeled or targeted as a decent hire uh, from the get-go, then, then this outcome wouldn't be so frustrating. But it's the fact that, you know, Frank Vogel started this entire process as nothing more than a potential assistant coach. Right. And that's that was his introduction to the to the Lakers fan base was he is he's not a legitimate uh, head coach candidate. And and he is somebody who will be a nice addition to Ty Lue's, uh staff. But but he's not a serious head coaching candidate. And then now he's the head coach. So like what are, what are Laker fans supposed to feel at this point? Right. Other than other than and, and th- there's nothing other to feel. uh Nothing other to feel than, well, I, I, I guess he's the coach. That's fine. Yeah, and that's and there's all this uncertainty. Like I said, we spoke about Ty Lue being here, and you, know, you mentioned that Vogel's being hired, uh, interviewed as an assistant coach. Then we hear that Jason Kidd was only brought in for an interview as a favor to someone, and now he ends up being foisted on whoever's going to be the coach. And allegedly part of the reason that Ty Lue didn't want the job is because he didn't want his lead assistant being chosen for him. You've got the Fantastic Five there in the front office making these decisions. Jeannie Buss, Rob Polinka, <laughs> Linda, and Kurt Rambis, and... A, uh, an old name back, Anthony. Uh, just just interjecting his um, his eleven rings, perhaps. Um, how is uh, how's Phil Jackson going? <laughs> I honestly, so there were those weird reports 
of a shadow executive or a shadow <laughs> presence in, in in the Lakers front office. And it turns out that the shadow executive is is Phil Jackson. It, it's just wild. The the whole the whole process here, I don't I'm not even kidding. Have you ever heard anything like this? Like in the modern NBA? No. Doesn't this d- doesn't this sound like a something you would kind of look back and laugh at about like the Boston Braves back in the day before they eventually became the San Diego Clippers or whatever it was? It sounds made up. Like it, <laughs> it does, right? Jeannie Buss inherits the team, uh, empowers her best friend who doesn't have any uh, acumen in this industry. Her best friend then appoints her husband who is an out and out failure on his own in, in the NBA. Uh, they hire the agent of a player whom they massively overpaid after he tore his Achilles. Uh, they, 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 they make him the general manager. And then after all of this is, is, is said and done, uh, they apparently go back and, and grab somebody who again was an out and out failure in his lone stop as an NBA executive. Like this, this, if I was to try to sell that story to, you know, MTV or, or, or ABC or the CW as some like prank show, they would turn it down for it being nonsensical. And the funniest thing about this, well, not even the funniest thing, because it's not a laughing matter for, for many people involved, is that you're only covering your 10, 20% of this situation. We can go back into del- delve into so many different things. Phil Jackson's, LeBron James, you know, posse comments, the really you know, frozen relationship between those two, you know, sniping back and forth, LeBron having nothing to do with that, his camp really being frustrated with Phil, and then Phil coming in and making these uh, decisions. And then you know, I saw, you know, comments put around here, I think from uh, Ramona Shelburne saying that there is, a, you know, that Phil and Kurt from their time in the Knicks learned that having superstars and uh, their uncontrolled power is not necessarily a, a good thing. And you know, they really regretted, even though they're the one that gave the no trade clause to Carmelo Anthony, uh, regretted giving him that. LeBron doesn't have that. You've heard whispers, Stephen A. Smith coming out. Could LeBron be traded? Like, is that is that legitimately a realistic situation that LeBron, A, could be traded or request a trade? If he is traded without requesting it, that seems absolutely bananas to me. I I can't put anything past these guys at this point. There's nothing there the the realm of possibility extends further than our own imaginations. Um as it as it pertains to LeBron, here's what I'll say. If you were LeBron, wouldn't you demand a trade at some point? Yeah. Especially it's especially now that Phil Jackson is in here. Yep. You know, we know how LeBron feels about Phil. We knew how LeBron felt about Magic Johnson. Uh we we know that that how how LeBron feels about Ty Lue and the Lakers embarrassed him. Like they they just keep they just keep testing the borders here. They keep testing that line of all right, how far can we push LeBron before he hits his breaking point? Eventually, they're going to find it. Uh, and 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 if they haven't found it already, and I wouldn't blame him at all. I think before all this stuff happened, let's say let's say Magic Johnson never steps down, and the Lakers are just kind of preparing themselves for the summer to be. If LeBron demands to be traded, he would get slayed in the, in, in the, in the press and, and in analysis of the situation, he would be murdered. Uh, but right now, if he was to demand a trade, I think most every reasonable human being out there would say, yeah, that sounds about right. 
everyone could understand this complete frustration of getting a guy like LeBron in. And you can say, you know, LeBron's a shadow coach and GM. He's, he's obviously not making these decisions because it's nothing to do with him at this point. So I think we can you know, throw that, that narrative out. The one last thing I do want to talk about you, which comes off really, really strange at this point, is the Jason Kidd, uh, you know, mm-hmm. hire, yeah, bringing him in. Uh, look, he, he was objectively horrible as a head coach in Milwaukee. He has shown uh, an aptitude for uh, political, uh, let's be kind and say maneuvering in terms of mm-hmm. trying to uh, campaign for jobs that other coaches have, making uh, front office power plays in uh, in Brooklyn that got him eventually traded to Milwaukee. We heard rumors of him trying to get some front office power there. And then, of course, there's his history, drink, drink driving DUIs, uh, domestic violence charges. And then reports coming out today are that the Lakers didn't want to make him a head coach because of the domestic violence stuff, and, but they're happy to bring him on as the as the lead assistant. And then invariably, he's going to you know, position himself to take over that job. Like that is, That's really troublesome, right. uh, especially Jeannie, obviously, as one of the very few female uh, majority owners in the NBA. It's a, it's a real concern. That, why, why is why is Genie in his front office so tone deaf to this sort of stuff? So I don't want to put more pressure on Genie simply because she is a woman in this position, right? Like I don't want yeah. to hold her to a higher standard than any other owner who might. There are two previous owners uh, that that have employed Jason Kidd, even with all of that stuff in his background. Correct. Even more than it is right now. So, you know. On one hand, yes, as as a woman, it's weird that that Jeannie Bus is is out here. Uh, the the only thing that she has reportedly had a problem with that that has leaked from her that she has a problem with was him uh, positioning himself for the Lakers' head coaching job while Luke Walton was the head coach. There have been no such reports about her distaste for his criminal background and and this is the thing it's an actual criminal background it's not it's not allegations yeah. it's not whispers it's not rumors it's it's actual criminal activity that he pled guilty to that that uh on 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 a couple occasions he he pled guilty to beating his wife he wound up pleading guilty to uh driving drunk and and having an accident uh, these are things that 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 we know tangibly that he did, uh, and and yet, you know, the Lakers are, are are ready to move on, and 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 this is this to me, you know, I I nobody cares about our personal fandom, right? Like yeah. you're you're in you're in the fanny, fantasy industry. Uh, I I obviously cover the Lakers. Nobody cares about us being fans of whomever. But if I was a if I was a woman, and I was a Lakers fan. I would be I would feel slapped in the face right now. I'm being told that this person is is employed by the Lakers despite that history. Despite and by the way, there are there are allegations that go even beyond the 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 stuff that he pled guilty for, right? His wife uh, uh, alleges that he was beating her for years before he was finally caught. He his wife alleges that he was beating their children before he was caught you know and and there's there's another report out there there's another lawsuit out there from 2007 from a model who said that he was that that at the very least he was it was it was sexual misconduct towards her right and he he eventually threatened her in that situation and if i'm a woman and i'm a lakers fan i'm sitting here thinking do you honestly care about us it 
should I should I root for an NFL team instead? Because at least they're out there. They're up front about them not caring about us. But you're you know, Jeannie Buss, do you, do you actually not care about us? Because it's 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 getting to a point now between Kobe's allegations back in the day, Lance Stevenson's allegations before they signed him, and now Jason Kidd. There's a trend here, and that trend is getting really hard to to, to overlook. There's going to be more of this stuff come out over the coming days and uh, and weeks and uh, more information coming coming to light. But I guess one thing, Anthony, before we go, it is good that Alicia Rajan Rondo will be available to be re-signed now that uh, a coach <laughs> has been chosen so everybody can uh, can rest easy. Regards to that, Anthony, we'll have everything for you over on Locked On Lakers. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Thank you. Anytime. Don't forget to subscribe to Locked On NBA by using the Himalaya podcast app. Download the app and subscribe to Locked On NBA and your favorite show across the Locked On podcast network. Let's bring in now the host of the Locked On Warriors podcast, Charles Hamilton, is back to discuss Golden State dispatching the Houston Rockets in six games. Uh, also, Charles, um, Kevin Durant, injured, injured calf, missed those uh, last one and a half games of the series. But uh, where does he stand now for the Western Conference Finals against the Portland Trailblazers, which are starting in a, a couple of days' time? Yeah, definitely. The uh, That's one of the best parts about the win against Houston is it obviously continues their season, but it gives them a chance to get Kevin Durant back. I believe he's going to be reevaluated on Thursday, which will be the day of game two. And I, I don't know, you know, if he's re, if he if he's good to go, he's going to play. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's more along the lines of game three, which will be Saturday, uh, May eighteenth. And I mean, they've said he's close. Andre Iguodala, who's you know brutally honest, said he thinks Kevin Durant's close. So. I would think that Saturday at the latest, but again, I mean, I, if they reevaluate him and it's worse, you know, who knows? We obviously know that the Warriors can win without Kevin Durant. We've seen it in the past. We saw it here in game six against Houston. How, how does this team match up in a matchup with the Portland Trailblazers without Durant? What sort of starting line do you think they go to? Does Kerr go back to Bogut, even though he played him only those 12 minutes? But of course, a, a matchup against Houston is a little bit of a different situation for someone like Bogut than against Portland. You're going up versus Ennis Cantor versus PJ Tucker at center is a completely different scenario. So do you think we'd see more Bogut? Will we get a lot more Kavon Looney, who was really fantastic in that game six what sort of your configuration do you think the Warriors go with their keeping a dollar in that starting lineup as well I'd imagine so at least obviously until Kevin Durant comes back um because they're down you know starting center and and starting small forward so I'd imagine Andre continues to be in the starting small forward spot just because they don't really have another option I mean are, are you going to start Alfonso McKinney i Doubt it. I honestly doubt it. So I think we'll still see that. As far as uh, the center spot, definitely think it'll be Bogut because he's mentioned before that Kavon Looney is not a guy you can play 30, 35 minutes. I don't know if it's a conditioning thing or he'll he'll be exposed if he's out there for too long. Uh, but I'm with you. He was one of the stars of that, that Houston series. And uh, he'll have to have a nice game or a, a nice series against uh, Cantor, who's a hell of a rebounder too, so he's going to have some work to try and keep him off the offensive glass, and then get on the offensive glass him- himself, which he he did a great job of in in the Houston series. But I imagine Bogut until Boogie comes back, and uh, and Iguodala till uh, till KD comes back. Golden State really hasn't had any problems with Portland in playoff matchups in the past, but during this season, because it is obviously different squads, how did they um, how did they match up with Portland during the year? Even though this Portland team is again a little bit different, but this Warriors team is as well. Both teams missing their starting center. Definitely, uh, they were two and two against them. Portland, uh, 
it's hard to take much away from the regular season with the Warriors just because, you know, I don't know if it's an excuse or not, but you just never know if they were really motivated or not during the regular season. Um, I would have been interested or I would have been more confident, not that I'm not confident for the Warriors against Portland, but I would have thought, you know, they might sweep Denver because uh, Denver beat them early in the year and there was a lot of buzz around Denver. And it's one of those teams where the Warriors like to show you're not on our level. And with Portland, I don't know if the motivation will be the same. Obviously, it's the Western Conference Finals, so they'll they'll want to get it done regardless. Uh, but you know, with, with that backcourt they got, Dame and CJ, it just really depends. You know, that's that's their team pretty much. It just really depends how they do against them. And I wouldn't be surprised. You know, Cantor had two really solid series, but I wouldn't be surprised if we get to a point where they can't play Cantor. Like I think Steve Kerr is going to attack Cantor ruthlessly and. Uh, I, I just don't know if he'll be able to stay on the floor too long. Yeah, I think that's a fair enough assessment as well. We've seen that in the past, uh, you know, with Cantor mm-hmm. having those struggles, but he has improved significantly. You've got to give him credit in terms of defensively no during his playoffs. He's been really, really impressive for a guy of his defensive limitations. He's been solid in that area. But when I had you on last, I think it was last week, Charles, we talked about you know, Steph Curry's struggles and, and what was actually going on here. Is the ankle bothering him? And then in game six, that first half looked like it was following on a, on a similar trajectory. And then he ended up with 33 mm. points in a half of basketball. Turning the series, uh, turning the play, not, not not turning the playoffs on their head, but turning the series on its head, and ev- just serving notice to everyone that yeah, uh, this team is going to be pretty tough to beat when Steph can play that well. What was the difference, not only between that first half and the second half, but between Steph's yeah, somewhat uh, subpar play for in terms of his level of par anyway uh, throughout the rest of the playoffs? I I wish I had an explanation. I mean, it's it just seems like he made shots. I mean, it's not as if they you know, ran a bunch of different stuff to get him shots, uh, to get him open looks. You know, he was hitting contested shots. I, I think he drove a little bit more, which yep. opens it up for him and the rest of the team, which he, uh, in my opinion, he needs to do more often, especially when the threes just are not falling. Um, I had in my notes during during that game that, you know, up until mid-third quarter, Steph was basically one of the worst players on the floor. But because of the way they played and the fact that they were able to keep it close, I, you know, also said if he has a big fourth, the Warriors will easily win. And, you know, it wasn't that easy, but he did get it done. I, I don't know what it is. I, I, the hand might be bothering him, might, the ankle might be, but again, I, it's, it's not an excuse. You know, you got to get it done. And he eventually did and eventually has, but I wish I had some sort of schematic answer for you, but it, uh, just shots were falling pretty much. I, I do think though, he was driving more, which did open it up just a little bit more. Yeah, he only took 11 free throws in that game as well and hit all 11 mm-hmm. of them, which is yeah, a huge amount. The next highest Warriors player was Sean Livingston with four. Eight of those were eight straight at the end of the game doing the, the free throw, you know, yep. trying to extend the game. And they, they needed pretty much all eight of them. And he was, he was solid. Yeah, it was just a, only a five-point victory in the end, 118-113. Mm-hmm. We also talked last week about Clay Thompson and some of his below-par play, and he also stepped up in Game 6, hit uh, 7 of 13 from three-point land overall, 10 of 20 for 27 points. He uh, he brought it defensively. He really stepped it up, and it was back to sort of old-school warriors of Steph and Clay, just really taking it to the opposition and uh, and finishing things, something we haven't, as we talked about last week, we haven't seen as much this playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, I, you know, I do think there is a freedom with KD not there. Not that he's side-eyeing, not that it's a negative thing to have him, but I just think it is in people's mind, like, Clay taking, you know, 13 threes in a game. If he's not hot, then, you know, if he goes 3 of 13, those other 10 shots could have gone to one of the best scorers in the world kind of deal, where without KD playing, 
and and the situation they were in, no KD, no DeMarcus, you know, going to have to play the bench. Clay was just able to to be a gunner and just be uh, unconscious and 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 not care about making or missing. And uh, you know, he came through in another game six. This is the third huge game six that he's had for the Warriors uh, in his career. The the OKC one, uh, Houston last year, and then Houston this year. So it'll be interesting to see if it's something that continues before KD comes back and even when KD comes back. You hope it's the case, but I just – I don't know what it is. It was – because, again, he wasn't getting crazy open shots either. They were contested. Houston was playing them well. They just started falling, honestly. Yeah, exactly. The shots just kept going in, and that's basically the uh, the, the end of that se- – well, that was the end of that series. We look forward, Charles, to seeing this Western Conference Finals, the Warriors' fifth consecutive appearance in the Western Conference Finals, taking on a new opponent, the Portland Trailblazers, uh, which starts mm-hmm. during the week without Kevin Durant. Locked on Warriors will have all the uh, details for you as that series begins and unfolds. Charles, thanks for jumping on Locked on NBA. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me. Now we go to Portland to speak with the host of the Locked On Blazers podcast. Mike Richmond is here to talk about Portland, who gets over the line against the Denver Nuggets in Game 7 on the road, 100-96. to Portland, Mike, is going to the Western Conference Finals in the first time in what seems like forever. Well, 19 years is a long time <laughs> in basketball years, certainly. It is, uh, it is an amazing thing. Look, we saw this team push their way into the three seed. We saw them suffer injuries at the end of the regular season with CJ McCollum going down. Then, of course, the brutal Yusuf Nurkic injury, which most people, myself included, I thought that was that was it for them. They might win a series. I didn't think they necessarily even get through the first round of the series. But to get through two of them in against the Warriors, it just shows yeah, a lot of the heart of this team and a lot of the fight and, and really you know, players playing well, coaches coaching well. This is a is a surprise on the road to get this victory, and it didn't come through the usual manner that the Blazers tend to get through their big games with Damian Lillard carrying things because he wasn't on at all today. It was all CJ McCollum. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at the just pure box score, Dame goes three of seventeen. The Blazers shoot four of twenty six from deep. Uh, you know, these are not these are not exactly winning games. Like this is this is not the formula that they've used for the seven years of Damian Lillard in Portland, and yet. You know, down 17 early in that first quarter, and and uh, they just found a way. They just kept plugging away, and and CJ was so so good down the stretch that uh, uh, I think there was a time earlier in the season when when people were saying, you know, it's time to break up this core. I think it happens every year, but it was really it was ringing louder with the way Yusuf Nurkic was playing. Uh, CJ won some fans back during this series for for sure. Yeah, because his regular season was far from his best, and that injury at the end of the year. But his playoffs have been have been pretty strong. And you talked about the, the Blazers shooting their fifteen percent from three. It helps that the Nuggets were worse. They shot just ten and a half percent from three. They were, uh, were they two of nineteen, which is it's an indefensible number. There was a lot of fatigue creeping in with both sides. But there was a, a change here with what Portland did in Game Seven. We saw them go with the usual starting lineup: uh, Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless at the three and the four. Those guys didn't start the second half. Um, Harkless only ended with 17 minutes. Aminu only played seven minutes. They, they changed that. Rodney Hood and Zach Collins started the second half. But Mike, uh, Hood then hurt his knee. What's the latest we've heard on Rodney's knee? And uh, do you think that change in starting lineup, or at least in rotation, might be something they have to stick with against Golden State? It's it's hard to say. I was, If you follow this team, it's, not, it's more stunning that Terry Stotts changed up his starting lineup than that he has stuck with Aminu and Harkless, a, a tandem that has been struggling in this series. Uh, he is not one. He's fairly stubborn, fairly obdurate when it comes to making tweaks to his starting lineup. He would rather change the back end of the rotation, fix things in the sort of second half of the of, 
of each half than than do it right at the beginning of the game. Uh, in, in terms of Hood, they haven't said anything. He was listed, he was uh, announced as questionable to return. Uh, I assume when they get to Oakland, they flew out from uh, from Denver to Oakland. They guys had to pack for uh, two for four days in California, which I really love. Heading into a game seven. Uh, I'm sure when they get to Oakland, he'll get an MRI and they'll get a, a closer look at it. They just called it a strain of his knee, or excuse me, a hyperextension of his knee. Uh, but we'll probably know more Monday morning. In a lot of these other playoff games against Denver, Seth Curry's been stepping up huge. He, he wasn't that good in this game, or he put up exactly zero numbers in, in the box score, missed both of his shots, played 16 minutes. But it was someone who... He did who, commit five fouls. Oh, well, there you go. So he did have something at a least. A couple and, dumb ones too, it, yeah. He had, <laughs> so he made the box score. Evan Turner's the guy that really stepped up here. 14 and 7. I think he had nine points in the fourth quarter, a guy that has struggled at other points in the playoffs. But it was huge for Turner to be able to step up, especially with Harkless, with Aminu, with Curry all struggling, then Hood getting hurt. Turner was um, not quite a savior, but pretty damn close to it. Yeah, I mean, he's he's really the hero of this game. CJ was a superstar, but he's played like that before, and we've seen him be at that level. But Evan Turner moved from maybe like unplayable, borderline unplayable, uh, to just absolutely crucial in these last two games. He had a really bizarre game six where he did not attempt a shot, but finished with seven and seven and played the entire fourth quarter. It was really, really instrumental in helping them close out this game. And then he, he might've had more points tonight than he had in the entire series. Um, he was just, he was just really good as good as he is. He's played. He was one of two from the foul line coming into the series. He just, he doesn't do much offensively except for look to pass. He just hasn't looked to shoot. He finally got aggressive. Uh, he, he he took Paul Millsap into the post. When they put smaller guys on him, he looked to body them in the post. Uh, he was really active. And this was the best game Evan Turner has played in probably a month, six weeks maybe. Let's look forward now to, to Golden State, and we can talk about how well Ennis Cantor's played, battling through a shoulder injury. His defense has been improved. But going against Golden State, it is a, it is a concern there. Do you see you know, Stotts potentially limiting Cantor's playing time? Is that going to be an issue, especially when Kevin Durant comes back? What are they going to do with those uh, wings and, and forward positions? You know, how can this Blazers team, do they have to adjust? You know, how can they adjust? Because they, they did play okay against the Warriors during the regular season. They were 2-2 during the, uh, during the regular season season but what happens there in that center position they don't have Yusuf Nurkic there anymore does Zach Collins get more playing time what's the sort of moves that Stotts can make there I I think it's Collins who's going to play a bunch I I think um I don't I think Ennis Kander will hold down that starting spot like I said Terry's pretty slow to make those types of changes but I think Collins is going to be the crucial one uh you know they had they won the game they won in Oakland I think they played one of the maybe one of their cleanest games of, of the year, and they still had to win it in the final seconds. And the game they won in Portland, Zach Collins was fantastic in that game. Uh, if you, you'll remember, he got into kind of a verbal alter- altercation with Clay Thompson yep. and became sort of an internet hero very briefly for um, saying the F word to Clay Thompson. Everyone loves that. Uh, so I think he's the guy who plays. His versatility defensively, um, you know, he's not going to lock down Steph Curry on the perimeter or, or handle Kevin Durant really well on switches. But in terms of the Blazers' options, he's far and away their best big option. Now, Collins has been fantastic, especially the last four games. Over 20 minutes in all four of those games. He's blocked 13 shots across those four games. He's worn at least one uh, sequin top as well. So he's been massive in terms of being able to be a presence there. So that is that is a step forward. It's not just going to be, hey, throw him into the fire because he's been stepping up. He's been doing this against Denver. And it's going to be important that they can get someone who can provide that little bit of uh, defensive uh, rim protection against this uh, overpowered Golden State Warriors team. How, uh, how far do you think uh, this Portland team can go, Mike? 
You know, I had picked them to lose against OKC. Same. I picked them to lose against the Denver Nuggets. Yep. <laughs> so I guess I should just, you know, say that they're probably going to lose to uh, the Warriors and get prepared to cover an NBA Finals. Um, the Warriors look so good in that closeout game against Houston. It's hard for me to say that the Blazers are really going to push them. But if the Blazers, or excuse me, if the Warriors have been vulnerable during this run, this is about as vulnerable they've been since 2015. Uh, they're still really good. I can't imagine the Blazers can find a way to win in Oakland, but I, I think they could steal a game or two in, in Portland and, and take this to six. It's going to be interesting to see how it all pays out. The, the Blazers have subverted our expectations over the last uh, three or four weeks in these playoffs, and they're going to be uh, attempting to do it again. For my money, I've got the Warriors in five, but I, as as with you, I picked the Thunder and the Nuggets to beat the Blazers in, in both of their first two series as well. Mike, you'll have that covered for us all over on Locked on Blazers. Thanks for jumping on Locked on NBA with me. Thanks for having me, Josh. And that wraps it up for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you are following me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble and following the network at Locked On NBA Net on both Twitter and on Instagram. Make sure you subscribe to this show, Locked On NBA, so you never miss an episode. And do that by using the Himalaya podcast app. You can do it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify as well. And find your favorite show, your favorite team right across the network. So go and subscribe there, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.